Hello listener, it's the host of Campbell's Football's Grant Campbell here, with a message to every one of you listening to this podcast. Please keep safe during this very stressful time with the outbreak of coronavirus affecting not just football, but our everyday lives. Make sure your friends and family are safe during this very stressful time for many of us, not just physically, but mentally too. But Campbell's Footballs will still be producing podcasts. However, there will be very few predictions because obviously there's not much football going on at the moment. I have a few in-conversation specials though, which I'm sure you would love to listen to. But at the end of the day, please make sure that you look after yourselves. Take the time to listen to the show in your own home, with friends and family. And remember that we are all in this together. So take care, be safe, and I'll see you soon. So I'm back for another episode of Campbell's Football's Podcast and I'm joined for this episode by Ewan Robertson. Ewan, a warm welcome to the show. Thanks very much for uh, having me on. I've eventually got back to you and I've joined the kind of illustrious names you've had on, maybe mine less so, but it's still <laughs> should be an interesting hour of conversation. Oh, now you, I think you talk yourself down too much, my friend. I think it's all about the blend and the diversity within Campbell's Footballs that makes it interesting to everybody, really, who listens to the show. Um, my first question, as always, uh, with people at the moment is, how are you keeping through this coronavirus shutdown? Uh, alive and well, which I think the most important thing is. I'm, I'm not feeling any symptoms. It's also incredibly difficult for for everyone during this unprecedented time I think the most important thing is to keep your health both your, your physical um, and, your, and your mental health during this, this period is, is of crucial importance and you know anyone that's listening hopefully by the time this is put out there we're kind of over the worst of it but Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a strange time I don't think anyone's experienced this you know you've got grandparents who might be in their 80s and 90s who have went through the war and stuff but this situation is probably a little bit different from that. Yeah, it's not as bad, but it's, it's a little bit different. And you know, you can't, you know, especially for the, for the elderly, the ones that you kind of worry about, don't you? Because you know they won't have, they're more susceptible to the risks of it, and they might not get to see their family for a while. So I think that's the most important thing is try not. You know, I might not be able to to go to the gym or go to the football, but some people's lives are infected in more severe terms so I think you've got to kind of have a better perspective yeah absolutely and as we are recording this we wish the Prime Minister Boris Johnson all the best because of course at the moment as we record this on the 7th of April he's currently in intensive care St John's Hospital so we really wish him all the best a really horrible time and re- regardless of your political beliefs and activities you, jo- you don't really want to see anybody <laughs> you know losing their lives to something as serious as COVID-19 so we wish Boris and his family all the best yeah no- uh, I'd echo that. I mean, regardless of your political preferences, the guy's a father. He's soon to be a, another father. He's engaged. You know, he's got yeah. family around him. So, it, it, you know, if you're saying things that are untoward about him just because you don't support the Conservative Party, then I think you've got to have a long, hard look in the mirror. Yeah, absolutely. No, I fully agree with that, mate. Anyway, moving swiftly back to football affairs, um, your story is an interesting one from my point of view. Um, so as I always kick off by saying, what made you want to kind of get into football in the first place, you? 
into uh, football. Well, I'm a boy from the west of Glasgow, <laughs> uh, west, of, west of Scotland, so... Always a big starter for 10. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think living in, the, living in the city as I have for the majority of my life, football it's a, plays such a central part in it. You know, it, it's a way of life in here, and it kind of it goes outside maybe 90-minute games because it just... The culture in, in Glasgow is it can be quite intense at times, I suppose, with the football. That's just stemming from the fact you've got the two biggest clubs in Scotland, two giants of Scottish football. Uh, in the city, obviously, you've got the team that I support as well, mm-hmm. um, which are kind of the best team in Glasgow, some people will say, but <laughs> you'd have to probably have to argue that point with people. But no, it's just always been since I was a little boy, I've always played the game um, growing up. Mm. And it's always been just, I suppose, any boy really who loves football, it kind of. Yeah, immersify, immersify yourself in it and it becomes a way of life really, doesn't it? Yeah. Was there any footballers you watched growing up that really inspired you to, to kind of get involved in the game? Who were your heroes? Um, a massive Manchester United supporter other than Partick Crystal, that's a team that I, that I follow quite closely. So I think that, I mean, I remember when 1998, when they, no, 1999, sorry, when they won the, the Champions League, obviously the treble in the season. I mean, my birthday lies around the same time as, as the Champions League final of the year, so I remember having like a, I guess like a sixth or seventh birthday party. <laughs> we all watched that game. Yeah. Um, and I remember actually getting off of my mum, taking one of my pals home, and just like cheering that out the car window. I don't know, like, even though I wasn't at that point a Man United fan, I think that just because the, the circumstances they won out the two late goals, it kind of. Yeah. That's maybe one of my first football memories, actually. Yeah. Ever since that day, I've, I've always been a massive fan of Roy Keane. Yeah. Um, as a player I was I just loved the guy and how intense he was and he was a bit different from everyone even as a pundit now he's probably my favourite pundit yeah. because he's shooting the hip and yeah. he won't hold back and I mean I've always followed his career quite closely I, I, used, to like Sund- I used to like Sunderland as well when he went there mm-hmm. had a Sunderland strip but I stopped supporting him when like, Man United lost the league title in the Aguero moment Yes, and we were actually playing Sunderland and I remember all the Sunderland fans were, were supporting and doing the, the bounce that the City fans do the pause now. Yes, yes. Um, so after that moment, I, I, I never I stopped supporting. <laughs> but I, remember, I remember that day well, because I remember I was, I, was I was in my pal's flat and we were kind of just watching the game like coming up on like BBC or something like that. Yeah. It was 2-1 to was it QPR. QPR, QPR. QPR Rangers, yes. Once QPR and I was like, there's two minutes to go and there's a pub in the West End called The Rock and we were like, oh, we'll just walk around there and we'll have a few drinks to celebrate. Yeah. Took about five minutes to get there, and obviously walked in the pub, and it was free to. I actually could not believe it. I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, well, I, I remember watching that game in in my house with my dad. My dad's a Manchester City fan, and I'm a Manchester United fan, so there's a bit of rivalry in my own household. But when it went two one, I I never I, I I couldn't believe it for a start because I never thought QPR would would win the game. Um, and then obviously Joey Barn got sent off, and I'm thinking, oh, this is just typical. They're going to fall to pieces. And then the clock was wearing towards ninety minutes. You're thinking they're not getting a goal here, and QPR are hanging on. And then of of course, when Jekko scores, I just think, oh no, they're going to get another one. You just know it. And a typical Balotelli does nothing pretty much most of the game, and they flakes the his only assist of the season for Aguero for the winning goal. And you know, it's it's a horrible moment as a fellow Manchester United fan. I can sympathise, but yeah, you met. Yeah, because I caught him, though, I think when you obviously Martin Tyler's Aguero, yeah. Aguero, yeah, is uh, commentary. It's an iconic moment, and I think it just it like, is. I suppose if it was any other team, you'd probably end up celebrating yourself yeah, yeah. You? it perhaps eases the pain a little bit knowing that it's Martin Tyler and obviously a football institution whether you like him or not but maybe that's just my view you mentioned Roy Keane I mean I, I really loved his battles with Patrick Vieira over the years I mean was that of an interest to yourself? 
Yeah, yeah, I can remember it quite well. I remember one game when I think United went there. There was the famous game with the tunnel incident before the game when yes, Vieira was trying to pick on um, Gary Neville and Roy Keane comes storming through, and even though he's Vieira, ah, yeah, I remember Keane, that. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not scared. But I remember that game. I remember, but I think it was away at the school or something. I trip and we watched it, uh, and John O'Shea scored. Mm-hmm. John O'Shea scored mm-hmm. a wonderful trip. And yeah, before two games. Yeah, I got, yeah, I, think I got O'Shea back. Yeah, I, got, I used to like the weird players. Like I used to like O'Shea, and I got a shot with Piquet in the back as well before he obviously came through to Barcelona. But um, in terms of English, that was kind of um, kind of my inspiration. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, we'll talk about it later because I've got a schedule through and you know, even though I come from Glasgow I don't support Rangers <laughs> or yeah. so I didn't, I didn't so even though the majority of that the players the big time probably came from those two clubs it wasn't yeah. something I was particularly interested because obviously I'm a Partick Thistle supporter Was there any Partick Thistle uh, players growing up that you had a bit of a, a love for? I mean mine was Alan Archibald for a wee while I mean obviously I'm an Aberdeen fan but Alan Archibald and people like Kenny Arthur were, were really in my bracket yeah, I mean, in terms of festival, probably in terms of players, there wasn't anyone specific when I was maybe between like six and ten. Mm. When they started going to the millennium, actually, when I, I probably started having players. I mean, my favourite ever festival player was probably Martin Hardy. Oh yes, uh, I met Martin Hardy. He was it's kind of strange. Like, I, like I've, also, I've interviewed him a few times before, and I've got his number. I know him now. But if, to me, he was probably my first. Hero played for Fistle because I played centre midfield as well when I played, so mm-hmm. he played centre mid and he could he could get goals and he was just crazy. Yeah. Um, some of the, some of the moments he gave, I remember going up to Inverness. I was quite fortunate, and my dad worked up in in Aviemore at the time, and so I never yeah. been to Inverness or Ross County away. I'd maybe yeah. luckily I don't go to school. I'd maybe get a day off school uh, and go up there and, and support Fistle. And there's one game he came on, he came on and scored two goals. One of my favourite games, I feel so personal. Um, Martin Hardy, Alan Archibald, Kenny Arthur, was an art player called Martin Lachlan. Yes. Um, he's a junior coach, he was, I really liked him as well. Mm-hmm. He was a kind of left winger. He's hugely talented. I think he kind of, I think he moves, I want to say St Johnson. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he left Fistle quite early. And he was another player for me. But I think that Fistle team, you know, it's kind of synonymous with Lambie he kind of bought characters absolutely absolutely and a lot of the players were, were characters I think that's something that's missing in the game now you know like um, some players now they probably don't have the same personality or maybe they do but it gets suppressed by the media team yeah no like, I, um, I controversial yeah no I agree with that I mean in terms of managers I mean I think I actually did a previous podcast with Kenny Miller uh, Kenny Arthur sorry I beg your pardon and one of the, the the people that I remember now certainly in football who has still got that character about him is Dick Campbell the Arbroath manager and you don't really see many other managers that have that sort of witty style of response to questions by interviewers and, and people like that and I don't know I, I don't know if it as you mentioned is it just something that's repressed by the media now I don't know but it, you don't have many of those sort of characters nowadays maybe Gary Holt to a point at Livingston but Brian Nice is another one who's, who's pretty straight with you oh yeah yeah of course of course but that's a good shit like I said um, funny you say that Dick Campbell obviously he used to manage for so yeah um, <laughs> it's probably fair to say I wasn't his biggest fan <laughs> when he was a it's kind of strange like when I, when I used to call him up to come on the show and you know, like ten years ago, I was probably on the on the terraces shouting for his head. So it was quite. Um, I've, I've told him that. Yeah. But it was quite, uh, quite interesting. But like Cam, I remember another time went to Peter Head. Yeah. It was a playoff final to get. I think it was League 
Division 2 yeah. so League 1 now Division 2 back then um, went up there and it was Campbell there we're getting the bus up it was like three footers in the bus and and Billy Gibbs a player called Billy Gibbs and the Thistle fans know who he is he scored like a deflected free kick um, in the last minute it's an incredible scene so that's, that's kind of the main reason that we'll talk about why I support Thistle later on but yeah. just the fact that Absolutely. It's, it's so unpredictable and I remember Dick Campbell was on the microphone after singing along and stuff like that and <laughs> just on Dick Campbell I think he's probably someone I, I, I started on a podcast I respect um, Gavin Miller and stuff at Pure Football and I, I was stunned for Cammy Samson for a little bit and I said I think that at the time Dick Campbell was probably the manager of the year oh definitely yeah. the job he does up in growth I know like, you know, Celtic are going to win the league and uh, Robin Nielsen's going to win the league with but the fact that Campbell's took a part-time team and done so well with him yeah. I think he just it for his time. I think he's probably underappreciated yeah no I fully agree and they're, they're within the cusp of the playoffs as well before the, the, the interruption with the coronavirus and you know, it would be a real shame if the season was declared void and you know they lose that that sort of great run to that place in the league it would be a real real shame now you and you've had a really interesting career tell me about your your sort of movement from university and how that sort of started your journey yeah obviously at uni I went to Stirling and it was an incredible decision to pick there because I had a few options um, mm. not just to do the journalism but I was going to do a couple of other things so I went to Stirling and done uh, journalism and sport a joint degree I think only three people um, two people in the whole of the university had done that course eventually it was three because my flatmate he came on to do the same course and you know, I think when you go to uni the first two years you don't really know what you want to do, do you, know yeah. you don't really see an, an yeah. end game like theoretically uni is quite good it teaches you a lot of things but you don't really until it's probably until my third year mm. when luckily enough I got an internship with the Scotsman mm. that's probably what convinced me that I wanted to be um, a sports journalist mm. uh, I was quite fortunate that in my in a friend of the family, uh, Tom English from the BBC. So he was always really helpful with me in the infancy of my, of my career. He always kind of would help me for advice. I'm not, I'm not someone that really goes to, you know, if you know someone, bombard them every every yeah. every week or every minute of the day. But like every couple of months, you can give them a text or a call, and that can prove incredibly helpful. But I'd, I'd say I'd, when I went to the Scotland to an internship, that's when I started to. That's what reassured me that. That's yeah. what I wanted to do because up until that point, I had no idea if it's actually a career I wanted to pursue. Mm. Um, but going there, you know, you get you start to get you know published for the first time in a, in a national newspaper. You start to go to like Parliament and interview people, and you start doing articles and, and stuff like that. And that's kind of what, what gave me the kind of drive and the the conviction that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, up to then, you know, you, you sit in a classroom and you get told things, but. As helpful as it is, maybe to learn a couple of things, it's not until you really go out there and get that experience. I feel that can know that's what you want to do. No, I fully agree with that. Actually, I think it's another interesting point, and certainly some of the from a science point of view, I can sort of relate to that in a in a large way as well. And I think it was really interesting your story there, and 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 Tom English, a highly established. Um, reporter obviously and writer for the BBC. I mean, what is he like as a person to work with, or gain advice from? I should say. Apparently, well. But he was just a, a friend of the family. I, I met him a couple of events, and naturally, when you're studying journalism and you've got a guy who's the chief sports writer for the BBC, there, you're going to pick his brains. You'd be foolish not to. Absolutely. I think that's something that I've always tried to do. Is that I think you see it more and more nowadays. Is that you get 
not yourself or stuff you get bloggers and people who are aspiring writers or, or podcasters and they find it quite easy to to criticise people who are maybe in the top roles um, yeah. you know I think when you're at the top of the industry you know if you're, you're going to get shot at aren't you people are yeah. going to try and criticise you all the time I'm probably slightly different from that I think that when you're in the company of these people you've got to respect the fact that they've had incredible careers to get to where they are it's hard work so whenever you're around them I think you've got to be a sponge and you've got to take as much information um, as you possibly possibly can get yeah no absolutely and then like like I said I've I've, I've, I speak to them now and then on the phone I've I've been in the the BBC a couple of times and obviously I, I was a producer at Rocksport I was lucky enough to sit in with the producer of the BBC and Sports Sound yeah. um, and see how they do it there which is quite it's also quite a similar but there's a little bit of differences so I think it's all all about learning and, and appreciating that you know I'm in the fledging of my career and you've yeah. got to look up to these sort of people and, and take all the advice you can yeah absolutely you played a bit of football as well when you were still on university didn't you but what was that like playing for a university team because I've spoken to a few people in the past about this sort of thing and they say that it's very competitive and uh, but really good fun as well Actually, university football to me it's an absolute dream because people people talk about it and the fact that Stirling University is obviously quite renowned for being the, the best team in Scotland at university level yeah. there was six, six or seven teams um, when I was there so you're talking about 120, 140 boys so you, I mean if I, if I hadn't joined the football club and been successful in trials then you know, most of my friend group from university came from within that because you, you, you go quite tight bonds because yeah. look at look at teams now part time teams probably train Tuesday, Thursday play a Saturday we were training and the higher level you go you obviously train more but yeah. even at the level I played at we were training twice a week playing Saturday, Wednesday so you're, you're playing as much as training as much as professional clubs are absolutely essentially because yeah. um, professional clubs get a Wednesday off so you're, you're playing um, as much football they are as you were like I said it was, it's just an incredible experience because you know you're getting yeah you're, you're in a way in places like St Andrews and Aberdeen you're getting the bus trips up there you know you'd be, we were quite lucky we won most games we played so you're getting the bus up there and you can imagine yeah, you get the bus back back down. You have a, a few scoops, mm-hmm. um, so it could be quite fun. You're having a few journey, few hour journey down. Your best mates just played football on a massive high. Yeah, a few drinks down the road and out. It was just an, it was an incredible time. And yeah. you, know, what I find quite interesting is you find that a lot nowadays that there's quite a lot of players that are coming through university teams and they're going on to play um, part-time football in the lower leagues. I think. I, Perfect example, just recently, because it's fresh off the top of, the, of my head in the memory, is, is Blair Lyons. Yes. Who, who played at Stirling University. He he, he joined the uni the year I left, so I never got to, to watch him at close quarters, but from speaking to Chris Geddes, who's the first team coach there, who was my coach as well at one point, his progression, he's went from playing part-time football, I mean, university football, the lone league, went part-time in throws, and then next season he'll be going full-time with with Partick Fissel. So it shows you the, the progressions yeah. there. I think for a lot of players who maybe come out of pro-youth and might, might get released at, at that age, if they've got the grades, then I'd say maybe go to university before going to a, a part-time team is probably yeah. a better uh, route for you because ultimately when you retire at 35 and or your mid, mid to late 30s so you've got something there to, to yeah. fall back on once you you leave your leave the professional football world and yeah. a, but Danny Denham who obviously does the absolutely 
cast as well. He went to Stellar University. Yeah. He played um, Mark McGuigan, who plays for. He went to Fissel. Mm. Um, he went to Albion Rovers. Now he's at Stenhouse Muir. I was going to say former Stenny. Play, well, still at Stenny. In fact, I think I remember he scored at Petardry, didn't he? In a Scottish Cup game a couple of years back. Yeah, well, Mark went to university as well. He also works in, in sport as well. I've, I've, I've had him on the show a few times. And uh, James Craigan, he's another one who. Yeah. Went to Thistle. So that, Jackie McNamara picked up a couple of players from university football. I think mm-hmm. it's a fantastic uh, avenue to go down. Yeah. Do you think more clubs are doing that, picking players up from university level? And do you think it could be a success long term? Yeah, I've actually had conversations about this. I think that there's scope for. I've not got my ideas. My, my, my idea here, but I think there's scope for maybe partnerships between between clubs and unions as well. Mm. Uh, I think it's a great way to go. And I think if you're see for a League Two team in Scotland and you're not going to have the finances yeah. to maybe buy a player, it, it, I think it'd be crazy not to look at that level. No, I fully agree. Uh, I mean, in football generally, I think recruitment's massively important. I think any football club, especially when finances are tight, recruitment is imperative to the success of your team no absolutely uh, I'm not, not naming anyone in particular but I think that a lot of football clubs is bad I think that a lot of teams might pick up a player because they know the agent or because they've had the player before rather than doing due diligence in terms of scouting and being analytical about the player yeah. so yeah I think any football is something that the more teams should go down the route of and, and look out for players now you told me a really interesting story on Twitter the other day regarding uh, um, you guys after a football match um, what you guys used to do with the kits, didn't you? I probably should admit this, but yeah, I mean <laughs> I also went on to become vice president with my, my flatmate Lewis who was president um, but you know, after every game the boys would have to hand a, a deal with the laundrette so you know, we had to hand all the kits into the laundrette and you know, towards the end of the uni you might get a bit more confident and yeah, we end up just sticking our washing in as well. <laughs> so and then it also get built to the uni so they obviously paid for it. But I get started off you, you chuck a couple of pairs of boxers and then ended up you put your, your t shirts and your jeans in as well and got them cleaned um, for free. I probably should admit that, but I don't hopefully no one's listening but <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was an eventful time. There's like some if characters. Not, are... If not, no. If not, don't blame me. Well, I did. I was. I just thought I'd just try and have a little bit of a wind. I thought it was a really interesting story to to, to share, actually. And I'm sure the, the folk there wouldn't mind too much of me telling you about that. You've also, um, obviously, with Stirling University. Obviously, you mentioned very high profile place. Shelley Kerr, obviously, a recent graduate of there. What What do you make of her and her progress with the women's team? I think she's done fantastically well. Um, it's quite weird to me because obviously I didn't, she was the first team coach at Stirling I never, I never played um, first team it was probably about that gap in terms of the professionality at Stirling whereas the first team was elite level it was like development players they took players in from academies in England and they were kind of, kind of separate from the rest of the clubs at uni obviously you get to know the boys and, and they wouldn't be going out clubbing as much as the rest of us or anything like that yeah. but you could tell then like speaking to the, the boys in the first team they thought her, her sessions were excellent um, and she was a good coach it was no surprise to see her I'll explain later what became vice president you knew, we kind of knew that the kind of Scotland job was always something that would, would be a possibility for Shelley and you know she's led Scotland to their first major tournament and you know performance over there wasn't wasn't great by any means but they were quite unlucky mm, I agree and 
the job that she's done there is, is really, really good. And you see the growth of women's football, and you know, there's lots of people in the game who deserve credit for that. And, and Shelley's definitely, yeah. definitely one of them. It's, it's quite interesting because there's quite a lot of media attention um, with an appointment which came to Sterling because the first female to coach a, a men's football team at, at that level. So it'll be interesting to see in the future if. I, don't, I, I can't speak for Shelley, obviously, but to see if it's her ambition to maybe go back into the men's game. Well, I think it's yeah. some, I think it's something that's of interest in all sports because apart, you know, you know, I watch. I'm a big tennis fan, and you know, there's, you don't really see a lot of female coaches. Coaching male players. I mean, the only person obviously I remember doing it was Amelie Moresmo to Andy Murray. You know, it's a real pity that there's not more of that happening. And you know, it, I wonder if maybe that transition might have been able to affect it in in other sports. But I don't think it has fully, fully at the moment anyway. No, but I think the experience that Shelley had, obviously coaching men or mm. boys and men of the age, they're kind of teenagers and stuff like that was standing in good stead and I give her the experience whereas I think now that if maybe a, a team in, and I know, for, I know for a fact that would, I'm sure teams came in for her um, in League 2, League 1 level I'm, I'm sure that did happen right. so I think I think that it'll be a, a brave move mm-hmm. but I think it's a move that you'd endorse you'd yeah. want a club to maybe to do that and I think that whoever, whoever does take the step there's a huge amount actually I, I think it I think it will happen you know I agree we talk about we talk about the managerial many go round and the, the same manager seem to get a chance every job. You know, as soon as that job in the championship comes up, you can guarantee that Jim McIntyre will be linked to it. You know, it's just a, it's, no, it's you know, I, 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 I agree with that. Jim Duffy and people like so that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It'll be a taboo, but people, you know, undoubtedly, you just got to. It's not something that's great to see, but you've got to admit that some fans will probably not support it. And I think that. For the people who are who are of that mindset, I think they're just caught behind the, the ages. You know, they've got to come into the modern day, yeah, and so no. something that is going to happen, it should happen. I think that you know, I don't know if that's her ambition. Like, I can't speak for Shelley, but I think that she's got the, the ability and the determination to make a success of herself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's probably a bit weird for her because obviously I've seen her around the place at Sterling <laughs> and I'm now interviewing her after games and she's probably sick of the sight of me. She's like, how's he managed to get this? But, but in all honesty, like, I, hope, I wish her all the best and quite interesting to see if, if, if she does move back into the men's game. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk a little bit more about your um, internship at the Scotsman. Um, what a fantastic... Uh, Newspaper to work for. Um, who sort of made your way in that, and you know, who were the real characters, and how how successful has it been for you? Like I said, it was the best thing to happen for me in, in terms of my career because at that point you're kind of meandering your way through uni. You know, you're kind of doing your exams and you're doing your essays, but you don't actually really know. Well, I didn't. Anyway, I can't speak for anyone else, but I never really knew what I wanted to do and. I'm, I'm a confident boy, like I'm a very confident guy, and I'm quite sure of myself. But I, I was so nervous, like when I was going there my first day. I remember getting the train through to Edinburgh. And I was literally touching cloth, like I was so scared. Like, <laughs> I've never, yeah. I've never been, i never been in that environment. Yeah. Um, but luckily, I had a had a fantastic uh, mentor. Because when you do your internship, you get pa- you get paired with a mentor who was Ian Swanson. Now he does, he does. Um, He's a kind of political political guy there. I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, I'm honestly not at Edinburgh Evening News. Obviously, they share the building with the Scotsman. I'm not sure if he's still there. I should probably keep in touch for him. I do. That's my that's my fault. I remember going in and you're kind of your first day. You're like 
I was just like, what am I doing here? Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't yeah. really know what, what you were doing. And, but he helps, he kind of gave you tasks and you, and you kind of collaborated with the, with the rest of the team there. And, and then this, it was actually quite strange because on the, on the Wednesday, on the first week on the Wednesday, I was in Parliament. Mm-hmm. But wow. also the, the team that I was playing, so I, I was playing at uni, uh, it was like, I had to miss the game at uni and it was the day we won the league title. Oh, so I think that was the first day when first time in my career the first time I started to weigh up my future do you yeah. know what I mean because yeah. I had a decision to make that I go and play a game at uni to win the title and it was a crazy day actually because the, the third team and the team I played and the fourth team at that point were both going for the title on the same day yeah. both games were at home one was after the other so it was an amazing day to be there and like obviously I, I played a large part in that season and I mean, I spoke to him about it, and he said, "Look, if you don't want, if you want to go and and play football that day, that that's more than fine. You can make you can make the day up." Mm-hmm. But that day I was in Parliament, and I kind of always wa- I've always wanted to see what I was like reporting on. And it was first minister's questions. Yeah. Um, it was last session as well, and I remember having that decision to make, and I was like, "What am I going to do here?" But I ended up taking a decision where I had to maybe think of the future a bit more yeah. and think work was more important. So I, I went to Parliament that day. Um, it was quite strange actually in the way in the way back he was like oh go and do a vox pox and I was walking back and I bumped there was a, a rally going on and I seen Ruth Davidson was there um, and then press officer came up to me and was like oh you I must have had a notepad on me and they were like oh you here to speak to Ruth Davidson I wasn't but I was I was quite bold I was like yep absolutely so I ended up getting an interview with Ruth Davidson um, oh. just out of the blue really and that's probably the first person of stature I've ever, ever interviewed so wow. You know, you, you kind of think if I maybe that made my decision justified. Yeah. And I remember sitting. I went for a, I went for lunch, and I was all, just on my phone checking the score and, and keeping up. I mean, we ended up winning the league, and I, I remember racing. I remember racing through that night uh, to get the train back so I could go on the night out. Um, <laughs> so it, it all paid up. But yeah, that was it was an amazing time. And then obviously I, I moved to the sports section from my from last my last couple of days there, um, working with Graham Bean. He was in charge at that point. Yeah. Um. That's when I got my first ever sports article published. That was four years ago now. Yeah. Um. It was on Champions League reconstruction. There was another one on Johan Cruyff. Mm-hmm. I think like obviously it's a, a proud moment to get your name in a national paper. Um. I also support. I just got the support I got from all my pals. Obviously retweeting and stuff like that. I, I wasn't actually like on Twitter that. Oh. Oh, sorry. Can you still hear me? Yes. Yes. I was on Twitter at that point, but that article ended up being the most engaged one of the week. So that kind of gave me the the drive to, to go on and, and be a, a sports journalist. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you mentioned Cruyff. I mean, what a fantastic player he was. But what an interesting wee insight that was. I mean, you know, from from the world of politics to the world of sport. I mean, I mean, obviously two very different subject areas, but two areas you seem to thrive in. Politics, yeah, but I don't. I've never actually done too much about it since then, really. It's You're not going to be the next Michael Stewart, then. <laughs> well, well, I think Michael has a very good job with being Michael Stewart, so we'll leave him to <laughs> Absolutely. that. Absolutely, um, absolutely. People say it's quite funny actually. You mentioned that as another story. People say politics and football don't mix. Um, I tend to disagree. I think in Scotland they, they do mix. I'm not saying they, sh- they should mix, but I think they do mix. Yeah. Um, and my fourth year, one of our modules actually was was on it was, it was, it was like politics, 
in football or politics and sport um, this is the reason I didn't get a first at uni actually was, was this, this one module um, I, won't, I won't mention the guy's name but he's quite a famous author who, who took the class um, he writes a lot of Celtic books um, I won't mention his name but like I said I was on course to get a first and for some reason this guy just marked everyone's essays incredibly strictly I remember people there's a people a boy in my class got 3% for his essay um, it was that bad eventually so many people complained to the university they had to go back and, and regrade all the essays but I remember that week I got I got two essays back in the same week uh, I got one back I got 78% another one I got 25% off this guy I was just thinking how, how can that be possible um, so yeah but I've, I've, ever since then I've stayed away from politics and just focused purely yeah. on sport when you're writing things for a newspaper um, do you feel that you ha- there's a bit of pressure to write as well as you can because other people will be reading your work yeah but I quite like that pressure especially for example after games when you've got strict deadlines you might have three, three articles to write you might have a full time report which is due as close to the full time whistle as possible then you've got to obviously wait for the managers and transcribe that and you might have a follow up piece and, and stuff like that and you can be working for obviously when I was freelance or when I'm freelance out, you can be working for three or four papers at one point at one time. Yeah. Uh, which I sometimes find myself in and it can be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I, I would maybe say at university is to see if you've got an essay an essay due. You might have a, a thousand word, two thousand word essay, they'll give you three weeks to write it. Mm-hmm. You know, in the kind of work environment, you don't have that Absolutely. The type. That's something I thought that's probably something that I'd I'd say, you know, I'm probably critical of university. They might give you a bit too much support in terms of your, your timings if you're mm-hmm. in the journalism course because you're not, in the in the real world, you're not going to get three weeks to write a thousand word piece, are you? Yeah, no, no, um, I, fully, I fully agree with that. Yeah, I could definitely see that point of view. That's something that I find that also just being out, being out and about, that's probably something you learn more than, than anything than being in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. You you do a lot of. Tra- I take it you do quite a lot of travelling uh, when you were working for the Scotsman. Were you just fully in around Edinburgh? Or were you venturing back to Glasgow or even north? No, I was, no during my internship at the Scotsman, I was, I was just based in Edinburgh. Really. All right. Um, in terms of where I graduated, and I also moved into industry. I was lucky enough to to get a job within it. Travelling probably increases more yeah. but I'd always tend to stay yeah, I'm in Glasgow I'd, I'd always pick a game close to home or Edinburgh I mean, I'm travelling up to Aberdeen yeah. just, just in terms of the finances but it's different if you're if you're contracted to, to a paper you will get your expenses paid but if you're if you're freelancing I've always been freelance on a Saturday um, when it comes to football games you're not getting your expenses paid, so I'm not, you're not going to travel up to do a game. No, absolutely. The money you make, is, it's not going to be worth it. But uh, so Dumfries, funnily enough, um, I always enjoy going down to Dumfries. You see a, a boy called Liam at the BBC, and you used to go down with him, and it's quite a good trip because you can go down, on the way back up, it's like a two-hour bus journey, a train journey even, sorry, you can have a few beers on the way back up, it's got a smooth ride down as well, Yeah. Um, so that's, that's something I travel for, obviously for events and stuff like that, to cover like the Solheim Cup and stuff, you, you do have to travel a little bit, but 
I mean, now that I've stayed in Glasgow, obviously, I, I tend to kind of stay within the area. Yeah, no, that's quite interesting. And you've been very fortunate, as you as you chatted to me on Twitter earlier in, in, earlier in the week. Um, within a year of graduating, you report on the Scottish Cup final, which is, you know, a magnificent showpiece event, isn't it? Yeah, it was something that, once I graduated from uni, that you can't have a decision to make. You also have to know what you're doing, and I, I knew that I, what I wanted to do. So... I mean, I'm probably a bit different to a lot of people. I, I'm not someone to go and smack an application into any sort of job because ultimately, I think that it's important to, to do something you're passionate about and something that something that you want to do. Definitely. Um, I spoke to a couple of people about about working for them, and nothing really came to fruition. And eventually, I was, I was fortunate to to go to go to Roxport and get the opportunity there. I was still doing a lot of freelance work. On the side and stuff like that, so I saw money money coming in, and I went to Oxford. And yeah, within like six months, I was in the Scottish Cup final, which was pretty crazy. Um, You know, I always kind of appreciate the opportunity. I'm grateful for for the chance that that I had there. And I was like, you look around, it's like you're you're sitting there having your your pre match pre match meal before before Scottish Cup final or semi final. You might get they'll put on food for you, so you'll get like a (coughs) sort of Often macaroni at Hamden, which is was quite hit, hit or miss. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're, people around you, you've got like Ian Crocker there, Andy Walker, and then you've got your your written guys like your James Spears, Matthew Lindsay, Tom English. You know people who are. And you'd you have know, the Beeb guys as well, like Liam McLeod and and people like that. Yeah, well, the BBC people would be there. The, the commentators wouldn't really be in the same section normally. Hmm. Um. We are looking at people that are, you know, people at Clyde are, I was like Clyde Super Scoreboard, I probably never really admitted that I had a show going out at the same time, but for example, I think that if you're looking at presenters, I think Gordon Duncan is as good as any out there. Another you know, former yeah, guest of this parish, is. yeah, yeah, another former guest of this parish, yes, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, had, I've had Gordon on before, great guy. Yeah, I think he's incredible at what he does, like, he's so good. Um, it probably helps he's a Marvel supporter doesn't it when you're Definitely. on Super Scoreboard you get, you get a few a few loonies calling that show yeah, um, yeah. and they're not, they're not exactly very objective at times yeah and he has to balance some hard hitting uh, people on the show like Hugh Keevans for example and people like uh, Alex Ray <laughs> always very passionate fellas it can be a difficult job I think that for someone so young he he's so good at what he does yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I full agreement the, the yeah Simon Ferry is probably the other one who I think at the moment is I think he's the best guy in Scottish football he's just, he's just he's an absolute like, loony um, you know I, I don't want, listen or watch too much of his podcast but what I do I, I, I can only look at him you know I can't look at the other guy because you know they're trying to be very natural bit of it it's just his style I think his style just makes the podcast I think it's I think it's very very good I watched this one recently I think it was with Bobby Madden the uh, football referee that was oh. the, the car ones I like watching those ones because I think he's had Michael Stewart on that one I'm sure he's had Ian Crocker as well they're really really interesting those are the ones I like to watch um, I don't really sit and watch the interviews that much although I did watch one with Ali McCoyce which I thought was just absolutely superb but uh, yeah really so really I, great guy I think he's the I mean, people talk about presenters and stuff like that but I don't think I get the credit he deserves in terms of seeing someone who's often conducted interviews myself he makes it all about he makes it all about the guest, you know. And he's, he interjects with just short, sharp questions, and he's funny, but he leads the conversation definitely so well. I think that 
open goal generally is, is amazing. Like, I, I, I listen to it. The day it comes out, I listen to it. Like, I'm a huge fan of, of the work he does. And, you know, you see the rise that they've had. Oh, they're and, good. You know, doing the hydro and all the guests they have on the show. And, yeah. I mean, people don't give enough credit for his kind of knowledge in the game as well. Yeah. I, think, I think that the way he sees football and, and talks about it, and he's also co- he coaches now himself, like he does a bit of Peter Head as well. Mm-hmm. He's just someone that... Um, I think he's got a huge future. I think that he, yeah. he'll end up. Why will he? He could present some of the Sky Sports and that. I, I don't see why. What his name wouldn't be? They'll be looking at him anyway, wouldn't they? Because he's he's doing that. Well, he's, cer- he's certainly got to be in the shakeup. That's for sure. Um, you obviously talked about um, your time at Hamden. Um, I was trying to remember what game it was. Was it the Celtic Aberdeen game in 2017? The the one that you report. The one that you report. The game you reported on. What game was it? I honestly can't remember. I thought it was the Celtic Aberdeen game from 2017, but that might be too far back, uh, too recent. Um. Anyway, just a, a tremendous place. I mean, I mean, I've, I mean, I've been, I've not been, I've been to Hampton for a couple of years now, but it's a, it's, a, it's an incredible it stadium. It was Celtic Mullable. Yeah, that was the three 0 game, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Two 0 Two 0 Sorry, I thought we, I think they. Of course, they won two 0 in the League Cup final as well that same year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting place, Hamden. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've been to it in, in, for Scotland games and, and stuff like that, but the atmosphere at times when some big teams come to Hamden can be something else. Yeah, no, I've reported on a lot of Scotland games, especially the last qualifying campaign. I've probably done most games, and I think I think Hamden Han gets a hard time. Mm-hmm. I generally do. Mm-hmm. People always say it's crap. There's no atmosphere, but I've been at some games at Hamden where the atmosphere has been incredible. So I was lucky enough to be at the the yes. Griffiths game. I call it, and I was, I was just a punter that day. But I remember it was it was beam, the sun was beaming down. It was it was so hot. And see when Griffiths scored those free kicks, the noise was immense. Nah, it was you know, I think people people criticise it quite a lot. Hamden, and there is reasons for for that. You know, there's the you're quite far away from the pitch. Mm. Um, if you're situated in certain areas, it's, it's hard to see the see the action. But I, I quite like Hamden. Yeah, I'll be I'm probably in the few that actually quite enjoys it. So you wouldn't be a fan of relocating to say Murrayfield or other locations in and around Scotland, like say Celtic Park or Ibrox? No, I think that's ridiculous. People would suggest that honestly. Like Hamden is a home of Scottish football. Mm-hmm. We should be looking at ways to upgrade the stadium or or make it better rather than going elsewhere what I do support though is I think that friendlies or maybe even qualifying games could be played around the country that's my agreement yes I agree with that I think people would get more engaged with the national team I remember watching Scotland play at Pataudry actually yeah it was against Estonia wasn't it I think I was at that game yeah I was at that game as well Um, I quite enjoyed that I think that it was probably the first time I've been to Pataudry and that's really an option I think but I think when the national team is playing it, it should be in, it should be in Glasgow. And it should be in Hampden Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's interesting, and I know there's a lot of debate between some of my friends and, and about this matter. But I'm in agreement with yourself. I still think that the the main games should be played at, at Hampden. I, I agree with you to a point about this the stadium setup. You know, depending on where you sit, it's not a particularly great view, and maybe there needs to be some restructuring takes place. But that could take quite a long time to do that. And you know, I think it's very important that we maintain you know the the, the, the crux of the the games being at Hampden because I think it is the national stadium, it is the home of Scottish football. 
football and you know it, I don't think it should be moved to Murrayfield because for me I always associate Murrayfield with rugby and and, and I, I just think that would be lost if, if football was to go there and I think that would be absolutely ridiculous as you said um, we mentioned yeah. we met we mentioned about your time at, at the Scotsman. Um, let's talk about your little stint in radio. I mean, what's that like, kind of that environment of actually, obviously you've gone from writing to actually broadcasting over the airwaves. I mean, how different is that in terms of communication? Yeah, it was different in terms of, also I, I did go on as a, as a broadcaster, but mainly as a producer um, when I went there. And it was, I was still working, obviously, doing written pieces at the side, but I thought it was important. Um, why I kind of went through Oxford, I kind of touched on it earlier, was the fact that once you graduate, if you want to, it's difficult to get into the, the football industry. Mm. And I thought it was important to go somewhere where I'd have a lot of responsibility and I'd be able to, to do things rather than maybe go to a bigger company and be sat researching all the time. You know what I mean? Sat researching yes. behind a computer and not really get to do anything. Like I said, when I went there, I was fortunate enough to not just do football but a host of sports athletics golf rugby everything you know, I went to the European Championships in Glasgow in 2018 and covered I guess like 15, 16 different sports so that was important as well not to kind of pigeonhole myself into football Yes. and I ended up doing a lot of boxing stuff as well which I'm a, I'm a big boxing fan and people at St Andrews like um Ian McLeod was brilliant with me. Mm. He was at Andrews Club's boxing shows, which were quite famous in Glasgow, and some of those events were amazing as well. And Hugh Keevans actually compares them. So, but in terms of radio, yeah, it was different. Something I've never done before, even at university. Mm. Never done any kind of studying on, on radio and how to use the technology. So, it took, it took a time to get used to to doing that. But working in a, in a live broadcast environment is quite stressful because you know you make a mistake you can't erase it you know yeah. if, you, if, you spell a word, if you spell a word wrong in an article a, a sub-editor will pick it up but if you're live on radio it can cause um, a lot of problems but Definitely. I think once you kind of gain the technical aspects of it it can become kind of second nature to yourself in terms of audio editing something that's you we do that every day you know it's hard to put two podcasts up a day at least and that's in terms of all their live audio and putting your cuts on air and making sure all the timings are right and then yeah. eventually also I worked on the Talking Football show that was my, my, my role kind of changed as time went on and that was my sole role was focusing on football so that was something I obviously I was happy to do really mm-hmm. um, I still went to events and stuff so if I had a, a big event to report on I'd, I'd go to it for us mm-hmm. but I'd also mainly produce the football show which was Good, stressful, but it was, mm. it was really, really good. Yeah, and can people listen to old episodes of this show? Um, I wouldn't advise that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I won't want to, but I mean, in terms of production, that's, that's what I've done. So, essentially, we, we, we went on the air six to eight every night, and the task was to get four four guests a, a night yeah. on the show. So, you'd have, I split it into sections, so you'd have your six o'clock, half six, seven, half seven guests. So that that can be incredibly difficult. You'd have to kind of you maybe get players on, managers, journalists, anyone to do with football, finance, administration, lawyers, anyone in the game. You try and go on. So it's my job. I went in the office to look at what essentially the day comprised of. You look at all the big stories in Scottish football. Yeah. 
not just the big stories, I, I was quite keen on picking up the kind of interpersonal stories um, at any level of Scottish football. I think that's something that I always try to, to strive for, was to cover football at every level. Um, mm. So, end up, you can generate a fantastic base of contacts because yeah. you're, you're, call, you're calling clubs and managers and players and you know, your phone book's like a itinerary of who's who in Scottish football. So, yeah. you manage to get four guests on every night, whether that be your, your kind of Dick Campbells or your ex-players. And it's something that is kind of amazing having to call these people. It's quite difficult yeah. because you probably know this quite well yourself I mean you can't go to people on Twitter don't you well I, 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 I go to a range of other sources but yes Twitter is probably my main port of call yeah yeah so I kind of try to stay away from Twitter sometimes you'd have to use it but normally you, you, you're calling a club with the media guys once you get to know people you, you, you can kind of call on a basis but it can be quite you're kind of calling a manager up like hey you never heard from me before but do you want to come on my show and yeah you actually find the majority of them are, are brand new if you and would say yeah there's a couple who I wouldn't name any names yeah. um, who, are, who are quite difficult to deal with <laughs> but what you find as well though is that the clubs the clubs themselves and clubs I knew a couple of people from obviously reporting um, they were quite good just me like clubs in our local area like um, Marcus Marcus Nash at Hamilton yeah. top guy top guy with his James Hunter at St Mirren um, George Francis at Thistle so pretty much and then all the smaller clubs smaller clubs per se League 1 and League 2 they kind of want the exposure don't they definitely so they were all brilliant as well you yeah. know, they give you the time of day and we weren't we didn't pay our guests to come on the show yeah. so they were taking the time out of our day to do it for free yeah yeah it was amazing and like to see the, also the, the growth of the show was good and um it was really good to just get that experience yeah. and, and, and work in that environment. It's something that I enjoyed. Absolutely. Is there any highlight person that you're so pleased that you made a conversation with? A few. No pressure. A few, but <laughs> it's not. A, it's not always the big names. Like I, I said, that's my left. Actually, that what I quite enjoyed doing is I'm a, I'm a quite a big fan of fan media. Mm. I think that's something that that could well be the future in terms of. What annoys me about kind of media and, and football punditry is people often give quite strong opinions on players, managers, games based upon five minute highlights in sports scene. Yeah. To me, that that's not right. You can't judge a game off five minutes of highlights. You know, you're not eighty-five minutes of the game. You're not watching. So for people to come out and call for managers' heads and, and players to be dropped. It's just it's ludicrous, and I think that's something that I probably found it is that people want their opinions aired so much that they won't actually have the proper research, and they won't their judgment won't be in the best place to make that because yeah. that's why I like fan media because ultimately they're the people who are watching that team week in week out. Nobody knows the club yes, better than the supporters, yes. and there's obviously issues with that as well. Supporters might be a bit biased or, or hot-headed but ultimately they're the ones that watch our team week in week out they know how players are performing they know how the managers are doing they'll know what the feel is around the club so that was something that I was always keen to do and what I found most rewarding was probably giving people the opportunity to come on the radio for the first time that's probably what I found more rewarding than getting on a big name because yeah. I knew how hard it was for me to get a start, start in the industry and mm. get that experience I knew how important that experience was for me at the Scotsman so to give other people that experience mm. you know people like 
I remember Callum Brown who does another podcast came on he was quite nervous and he was fantastic mm-hmm. Ewan Boyle who done the Morton uh, he came on and talked about Morton he now works um, at Morton uh, just loads of people yeah. um, Gordon Sheehan does a tartan scarf so that was probably the most rewarding mm-hmm. part of it mm-hmm. No I think it's really interesting and that's what I try to do with sort of grassroots football as well try to get some people that I know who are involved with um, the, the game both in my local town of Allen where I where I stay and, and, and obviously slightly further afield to, to really kind of highlight and showcase some of these junior clubs and juvenile clubs to just learn a little bit more about that because I think that's very important and it gets lost in amongst the high profile that is the Scottish Premiership and, and obviously the Championship League 1 etc filtrates down and when you get to grassroots there's really not much sort of people communicating and talking up that club and I, I'm in full agreement with yourself I think building that up and that Discussion is very, very important. You mentioned. Yeah, 100%. Oh, sorry. Go on. We have a junior show as well. So that was on the Friday night, 8 till 9. So they had all the, They sorted themselves out and they had top guests in, in the junior world of football. But like I said, when I was there, we also, also produced every night, we had different sports. We'd have uh, rugby, motorsports, your, your, your knowledge of sports increasing all the time. So it was a really rewarding thing to do. Um, and not pigeonhole yourself. And like I said, I was lucky enough to go and do, do well in my interviews like, that, like Sir Chris Hoy and, and Laura Muir, Nicholas Surgeon. So I was getting that experience that I needed. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't coming out of uni and then spending three years researching for something. I was actually going out and about and speaking and interviewing the biggest names. And yeah. I was also kind of practicing doing interviewing, broadcast and production. So I had a whole, in terms of skill set development, yeah. I was, I was really Yeah. And, and doing that and in terms of Scottish football we covered all all levels literally like little small stories like remember the one was a, was a wee boy who came from the islands up north and he was travelling down to play for St Johnson every week just little stories like that as well and mm-hmm. um, mental health we actually covered mental health quite a lot and I don't really like talking about the work I, the work I do for them or done for them but I mean back on the side we're a, we're a, we're a group that, in Libby who I've got the utmost respect for and they came in and done a couple of specialist shows with them and, and people involved with, with them and that was something that was really rewarding to me and we had, I remember the, probably the most poignant guest I had on was Christian Nadi. Absolutely, um, great player and he's there. And also the, the main studio was there, I, stood, I was in the, the kind of production studio making sure it was all going out okay and all the levels were okay and all the technical aspects. I remember sitting in there and listening to that one, he, he talked about the time that he, he tried to take his own life, and you could kind of hear him breaking down on the phone. And it was something that was really powerful to me. I, mm. I was there; I was kind of visibly, visibly moved by it. And yeah. I remember it was actually interesting because before we got Christian on, I'd obviously put it to the presenters who I'm getting on and stuff like that, and there was a kind of reluctance to yeah. get him on because of, of his. English and I, and I was always I, I argued that that's not the best way to go about it and we, I, I wanted to have him on yeah. so we got him on and, and that was brilliant in terms of what he said and, and the numbers that he got and the audience that he reached and hopefully he could help people was was probably the one guest I look back on and think yeah. that's he wasn't the biggest name his far bigger names but in terms of the most impactful thing we done or I done that was probably best one I think mm-hmm. we're coming to the end of the podcast you know if you want to listen to you and a nice discussion about a love for Partick Thistle you can tune into my new segment which is called my best 11s which you can find on the Campbell's Footballs Network but just to finish up you in this this kind of part of the podcast what does the future hold for yourself 
Absolutely. Let's talk about a, a club that's very close to my heart as well, Partick Thistle. Um, what first got you into supporting the Jags? Interesting story, actually. That coming from Glasgow, the easy op- it's weird because where I stay, it's equidistant from Ibrox and Thistle, so it's 1.1 mi- miles to Firhill and 1.1 miles to Ibrox. So my dad's a massive Celtic, well, was a massive Celtic fan, but the decision they made was to kind of let me grow up supporting. Fissel and, and not be kind of influenced by all the stuff that goes on supporting one of the old firms so it's always Fissel for me um, ever since I was young I've been a season ticket holder I think I, I guess I get a season ticket when I was 6 and that carried up until I was about 16 and um, I still went to the game but I didn't have a season ticket anymore quite a funny story actually like I said my dad's a Celtic fan but I actually played a little bit for Rangers when I was younger um, and I remember we played Aberdeen your team um, up at <laughs> Murray Park which is now obviously walking heavy uh, and Collie was such a big Celtic fan he couldn't bring himself to say come on Rangers when I was playing so he was always saying uh, he's always come on you and come on you and uh, he never bring himself to say it but yeah a lot of people say you support the same team as your dad but I didn't uh, and I've always supported Fissel which is it's been a great decision because the unpredictability of it is you don't know if you're going to win you don't know if you're going to lose you often lose but it's just it's just exciting supporting Fistle it's a great club and yeah. some of the memories I've had throughout all the divisions is incredible I've, I've got to watch Fistle play pretty much every ground in Scotland as well which is something you don't get if you support yeah. one of the bigger teams in Glasgow yeah no absolutely I mean what, what's your memories of Fir Hill because it's a, a really iconic ground in Scottish football yeah it's a place close to my heart and also I'm fortunate enough now that I get to go there quite a lot and report on Fissel which is something that I never actually liked to do at the start because I was always worried about being 
too favourable for Thistle, but I actually find now probably, and I mean, people at the club will probably say that I'm often a little bit too critical about them. That's <laughs> um, understandable, just that kind of, since I've started reporting, it coincides with the time that Thistle have started having their, this kind of bad bad spell in their history with also getting relegated and everything's happened off and on the pitch. But hopefully now that the call's back, that we're, we're back on a good foot and he's a Thistle man himself, you know, he lives near the ground and something I've got a lot of time for. You mentioned earlier in the other podcast about Dick Campbell. Yeah. Uh, Ian McCall's like that to speak to. He's kind of someone that he's got his own unique style and you don't know if he's coming or going, but for how's that place close to my heart? We used to have a season ticket in the Jackie Husband stand and I think that's one of the best grounds in Scotland in terms of an away day because you've obviously close proximity to the West End and a couple of pubs like the Woodside and it's quite good now because whenever if I'm reporting on the game I can always I normally go to the pub after and have a couple of beers so yeah. it's a place to my heart and I think that it's a special ground it's a kind of club that for its size is probably more renowned in some other teams of its size yeah. and that's probably because it's got a bit of magic to it I think yeah absolutely well thank you for coming on this little mini segment called My Best Elevens um, obviously I'm going to do it as well because so um, please give me uh, or as close to your ultimate Thistle Eleven you want to go all the way through yeah well if effectively possible yes <laughs> I've had really time to think of this <laughs> <laughs> Neither have I. I'm doing this off the cuff. This is one of the first ones. So uh, I'm going to start. Well, if you want me to start, I'll start off with the goalkeeper, which for me is a slam dunk in Kenny Arthur. Yeah, I mean, in terms of. I've got Kenny Arthur in my team as well. Maybe. The other one I maybe have is. There's a couple of good goalkeepers. Tam Sherney is really, really good mm-hmm. for Thistle. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent goalkeeper. I'd probably say as a goalkeeper, he's much better than Kenny Arthur was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a guy who kind of spent too much time at the club and now is obviously on the coaching staff and a really good guy as well. Yeah. He put Kenny Arthur. And this is not like, this is not the greatest Thistle team ever. It's just the greatest team of mm-hmm. of our life things. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's all about. So the reason I'm picking Kenny Arthur is because of his longevity. Um, you know, he's made over. Well, I think he made 250 plus appearances. I mean, it's a that's a lot of appearances for a club of a, a size of party. So it's not. That's too, I mean, obviously you've got players that have played for you know lots of appearances for clubs, but for a goalkeeper to play 250 games for one particular club and then move away and then come back. You know, he has to, for me, be my, my goalkeeper of choice. Um, how are you playing the setup? I, I'm playing with a three at the back with this one. So, my back three is Stephen Cregan, Alan Archibald, and Scott Patterson. Yeah, all good players. I mean, Cregan was excellent for Fissel before he moved on to Marvel. Um Shaggy. Scott Patterson, again, is iconic for the haircut as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If nothing else, he's kind of a bit of a mod haircut. Uh, I think well, a well-known Fistle fan, Ian McKinnon, I think he's kind of copying his, his style a wee bit. If he's listening, he'll, he'll know what I'm talking <laughs> about. And uh, You can't not have Alan Archibald in the team. Definitely. Uh, he's my captain. A fantastic player. I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for a back four. Okay. Actually, um, I kind of, like I said, I probably missed a... I've not had uh, time to think about it. I think that Stephen O'Donnell is someone that probably would be getting everybody's team um, in terms of in terms of my generation. Yeah, yeah. He'd be up there. I'll actually not put him in. Okay. Uh, in terms of ability, he probably should be in my team, but I'll actually went for a guy called uh, James McKinstry. Okay. Who 
he he wasn't as good as, as O'Donnell, but I kind of grew up and I, I watched him. And I like I always liked him as a player. Um, I just liked him as a guy and stuff like that. So he, I put him in my team as my right back. Uh, my two centre halves will be Scott Patterson and Simon Stephen Craig and Liam Lindsay. Hmm, interesting. Liam did that long at the club, but I think in terms of ability, I think he'll go on to play for Scotland. So I'm gonna put Liam in the team actually. I'll yeah. put Liam Lindsay in the side, and then my left back is I'll put Archibald at left back, just because he, he could play there as well. He played there quite a lot, and I think I grew up. We've had some good left backs. I used to there's a guy called Bob McCulloch who was a bit iconic. I used to like him as well, um, and obviously James Penrice now is yeah. Academy graduate, but I don't think he's done enough at the moment to get in my team, so I'll Archibald at left back. He's very cool. Now I'm going to do my midfield slightly off the cuff here, but there's a couple of guys that for me are absolute shoe ins. You mentioned Martin Hardy on the, the other podcast, he's in mine. Uh, my team. Uh, and also Stuart Bannigan, who I've really rated in a Thistle shirt. Yeah, Banzo, I mean, I'm going to put them in. This is my best, it's not the, this is my favourite player, isn't it, rather than necessarily the best ones. I've actually not put Bannigan in, but he'd be, he'd be close to, to going in there. Um, I think he's a player that, if he hadn't had injury problems, he had to be played at a much higher level. Um, he's done really well to come back. He had career threatening injuries, yeah. so to come back from that is good. I, I, I went for a four across the midfield, so I went for Stevie Wallace. Good shout. On the left, I've got Chris Ayrston on the right. He doesn't really play there, but he's, he's going out there. Um, and in centre midfield, I've got Martin Hardy and this is a bit of a curveball, but I put Ross Forbes in there. Okay. Now, in terms of his, in terms of his, his career at Thistle, you should probably nowhere near it. But as a player, I love, I love Ross Forbes as a player. I love to watch him. Mm-hmm. He's so technically gifted that. His left foot was unbelievable. He probably didn't work as hard as everyone else and and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, just, I always like players in football who are naturally gifted. You know, people always talk about Scottish football. Or they they work hard. They run about a lot. Well, you put a fan in the pitch and they do that as well. So yeah, yeah. Forbes, I'm putting Forbes in. So I love to watch him play. Yeah, I've won with a five in midfield. Um, so I've I've went with Hardy and Bannigan sort of in the centre and um, you've mentioned Erskine I've got Erskine in as well I think he's a tremendous player and you mentioned Stephen Wallace I've got as well the one wild card I have is a guy called Quinton Jacobs growing up I thought he was a really good player and I thought he, he, he put in a shift um, he maybe wasn't the most technical of players but he was he always wore his heart in his sleeve when he played for, for the Jags and I quite liked him yeah he's a big name you remember when he came in he was a big, I was a bit younger obviously but he was a big name player and he didn't stay for very long I remember when I called him we actually played Ross County away mm-hmm. uh, and Jacobs was playing and it was kind of a weird game the floodlights went off yeah. I always remember so I was quite young the floodlights, went, the floodlights went off for about 15 minutes and they came back on and it was, I'm sure it was snowing as well and Fissel won I'm sure Jacobs scored Yeah. Um, it's an iconic game but yeah he's not on, he's not on your team. Yeah. I'll yeah. probably miss I've definitely missed players out of this oh I'm, I'm I'm absolutely sure I have as well. I mean, I mean, I mean, there's it's 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 a very interesting team that the Jags had. I mean, Gary Harkins is probably a shout in there as well, but I didn't pick him simply because I thought he was more effective in a Dundee shirt. But you know, he was a very very solid player. You know, you you've you've got um you've got some really quality midfielders uh, over time. And certainly, in my generation, someone like Mark Kerr was was very solid and didn't really do an awful lot going forward, but certainly in midfield, very very solid. Yeah. I don't think Kerry be in your team to be honest. No, um, no. Just 
he wasn't there long enough. I don't think he was actually that. He was okay. I don't think he was that good at Thistle. No. Um, let's move. Manager, championship manager legend, but yeah. Let's let's move to up front. Um, I've picked Chris Doolan, who has to be in without the shadow of a doubt. And I picked Jerry Britton, who, you know, certainly in the latter stage of his career was, was very solid and he, he could score goals wherever he went. Yeah, Jerry, King of Spain. I remember once again got to we played Dundee in a Scottish Cup replay and he scored one of the most amazing goals I've ever seen live. Uh, he's also highly involved in the club to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, chief executive still so but he probably doesn't make my side I've, you know Dylan's going to be in there isn't he because yeah, he has to be when I was there I mean it was a sad sad day when he left us so I mean there's no doubt in my mind that he'll be back mm-hmm. um, probably sooner rather than later in a, in a capacity whatever that's a I think now he'd probably look at it it'll probably be a coaching capacity he might help out playing but he's, he, he, people like that need to be around the club I think that a lot of Thistle fans' complaints were when Erskine and, and Dolan left the club as it kind of took the soul out of the club a little bit. Mm. It's, something I, it's something I agree with. If you look at it in terms of purely playing, in terms of their performances, you can, you can make an argument that Gary was right, but he's, he's obviously on my side. You know what I mean? He's the best striker I've seen in a Thistle shot. The other one who I've got in is Mark Roberts. He was amazing. Ooh, yes, Thistle. that's a good shout. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about him. He was brilliant for us. Uh, he was so so good, and yeah, I like I like I actually like Mark as well. He's a good guy, and he probably didn't play in the best Thistle team, but I mean his goals for Thistle were so important. And yeah, he was right. He was right the way up there. I, I, I feel like I've, I've put Ross Forbes in. I'm kind of regretting that, but <laughs> um, I can't I can't share the. Is this the it's very, very, it's very, very difficult because you know players from our generation we're picking. You know, people listening to this who are older will will think of obviously people like Chick Charlie, who was a it was a club legend, and obviously more recent times. You know, there's not really been many great strikers at this. So minus Doolan, obviously Kenny Miller was there for a little while. You've had people in the past, <laughs> you know, there's some real names. I was just looking through this list in front of me. Here are some guys who used to play for them, like uh, Adebayo Aziz, who's obviously now playing at Cambridge United. You have uh, the David Amu, who was there. And some of these guys just never really got going at, at Thistle, which was a real shame because um, I think they might yes, have done quite was, well. We had, some, we had some amazing strikers. Like we had a guy called Peter Lindau who was close to getting my team. Um, he's a Swedish guy under Lambie, or he was amazing. Alex Burns was good for Alex Thistle. Burns was a good player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. James Grady, quite a few, but James Grady was more more good Dundee player, I think, and and he also was very good at Gretna. Um, Stevie Chalmers, yeah. obviously a little bit, a little bit a longer time past now. He was a fantastic striker, but Danny you know, Lennon, Lennon is someone who's probably Stephen Craig scored team. a lot of goals for for Thistle. He was a decent player. He's a good, he's a good captain. He's really important for Thistle as well. Um, I mean, set a mid probably somewhere that there's a lot of players that could, that could probably have went in there, mm. but. I went for Forbes because I just, I just like him as a player. There's one guy that I feel I've screamed out and missed off my list here, and that's Ryan Edwards, because I thought he was very solid for, for Thistle. And then, of course, he went to Hearts, and uh, you know, and then he then I think he went down south, and he was he was a fairly steady player. I just I just think you look at Thistle, like, you can't factor in two things. Firstly, their performance on the pitch. Mm. Uh, but also, I think this was a team that's kind of synonymous with having a lot of characters. Yes. Um, and I'm looking at some of these players like Lawless, a character, Patterson, Hardy, Roberts. You know what I mean? I, Absolutely. I can't, that, 
I'm picking my best teams. I don't always necessarily pick the best players. I, I, I agree. I, I like the most. Um, Lambie's obviously my manager as well. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Lambie's in my manager as well. There's um, a, to, a toss of the coin between him and Gary Caldwell, but Lambie just made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm surprised that Alan Oshable wasn't chosen as your manager. Mind you, you put, picked him in your team, so you can't play both. He could be player manager, of course. Yeah, yeah, he's our manager in the arch. He's obviously done a fantastic job. I think it goes under appreciate how well he done with us getting the top yeah. six and staying in the top flight for so long because of that one season. Or yeah, yeah. One, what, 12 months he had at Fissel, which didn't go too well. In terms of the championship, what happened there, I mean, I, I wouldn't put the blame at, at square at his foot. I thought the recruitment was terrible. Mm. And the mixed messages coming out of the club in terms of budget and stuff didn't help. And a lot of our singings were just made of random players that maybe people should have been. They weren't good enough to play for Partick Fissel. So but I suppose ultimately the recruitment does come down to, to Archie yeah. a wee bit. But look, he's, he's back at assistant manager and with Scales. And he could, he could one day feasibly become manager again yeah is there any guys that you thought about when you were doing this that maybe underachieved when they were players at Thistle Um, I didn't have that much time to think about my best team almost came off the top of my head underachieved at Thistle quite a lot Um, to be honest Ross Forbes is one that I think that had all the ability in the world Um, quite a few players that come to Thistle who kind of the kind of characters with people like Cadet, Cadet and stuff like that. Stefan Bond from Celtic came in big yet. A lot of players come to the festival maybe for reasons because they've not done it elsewhere. Mm. I think that's why the, the, the team in 2012-13, the promotion team, was so successful was because yeah. so many of the players that came in had been released from other clubs and they had something to prove. And obviously Jackie McNamara there's a huge amount of credit for that as well. Yeah. Simon Donnelly is a player who was a great player as well. He was. Um, yeah, he was. Very good player. He wasn't there long enough, wasn't yeah. there long enough to make the team. Um, but I remember Dules actually said to me that he's the best player he's played with, was, was Simon Donnelly. I thought he'd say Squiddy or, or Stevie Laws, but he actually yeah. said that Donnelly was the best player that he'd ever played with. Yeah, I was just looking at some of the, the more recent names. Obviously, people like Blair Spittle, Ryan Stevenson, of course, was there for a while. He had a, he had a good little mini spell there. Obviously, I thought he was better okay. at Hearts. Um, Lyle Taylor scored a lot of goals of course also at Falkirk Taylor Sinclair of course is down at Livingston scoring loads of goals um, and, and playing really well but no that's not really I mean I mean, certainly from an Aberdeen perspective I remember when Derek Young played for the Jays and he was very poor it just never happened for him um, but you know Derek White was obviously there as well it's, it's, it's amazing looking through this list and seeing some, some famous faces that obviously went to Thistle and obviously were at Thistle and went to other clubs it's, it's a really good club do you see Thistle making some sort of resurgence before we wrap up um, Ewan obviously trying to survive what's going to happen because obviously the predicament they're in at the moment if I don't I, I don't see the SFA relegating teams this season if, it, if, it, if they do avoid if they do make the season they keep the standings as they are now and say that's that that's the final questions I don't think they'll relegate teams mm. I think there's actually scope for reconstruction a guy I like on Twitter called Lewis Cumming uh, very controversial Hibs fan but he's, I think he's just looking for bites most of the time uh-huh. he's got a fantastic reconstruction plan which I thought was excellent and it's something that oh I think I know this guy yeah 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 
hope I hope the Scottish football uses this opportunity as such to maybe look at the game and where we can improve things and mm-hmm. construction reconstruction of the leagues would, would be one. So I don't see Thistle going down this season. I actually think that if the league gets played to a finish that Thistle would be safe. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but they have the game in hand as well. This is this is the the, the grey area, isn't it? Because there's teams that have played less games. You know, how are they going to sort that out? Because you know, for certainly for this, so if they win their game in hand, they they, they go off the bottom. I think that just in, in general, since they, they moved to kind of feet in the back with uh, Tam away, are Darren Brownlee and Young Lewis Mayo on loan from Rangers, and, and they look better since that. They've not lost the game. Mm. Um, I just think that. They've got enough to stay up, but looking forward, I think the most important thing is there's a lot happening at the club off the pitch as well, going into fan ownership. So it's going to be a turbulent time, I think, for the club. But it's important to get the right people in place. Um, I think as a managing managing team, we've got the right people in place. Yeah. Uh, Ian McCall, Archibald, and Scally. I think they're the right guys for the job. I think that the one thing that Ian McCall is very good at is recruitment. He always seems to He knows a player and He brings in a good player If you look at the signings He's brought in He's brought in players That, that know the league Yeah And You know Brownlee's a great signing um, Dockett's coming in the summer From Air United as well Zach Rudden up front With Brian Graham First of all The players that The next season I think they've got to be looking To To hopefully get promotion from the league if they can recruit well in the summer yeah. um, I also think what, what Fissel have an advantage over every other club in that league as well if Dungeon United go up which I think they will is that Fissel's probably the club you'd want to go to yeah. because it's, it's got a history about it it's based in Glasgow as well which can, which can help a lot of players in terms of finance they probably pay their players the top 3-4 in the league for, for playing their players as well so I think that Fissel is the aim is next two to three years should be back in the top flight yeah absolutely well thank you for being a guest on my best 11s and I will share up our uh, teams and we shall compare and let's see what others think thanks very much Ian cheers no problem well listener that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered if you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple Spotify Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night!